Well, good morning. <laughs> Everybody glad to be here today? Yep. Everybody have a good week resting and relaxing with family? Maybe you got to rest. Maybe you're ready for Tuesday to come. The kids can go back to school and get back in a routine. I know I am. Hey, guys, my name is Jared Humphreys. I'm one of the pastors here. I, I want to thank you for being here today. Um, I want to share a story. It, it's my life story. It's a story of hope. It's a story of recovery. But in order to get to hope and recovery, we've got to understand that, th- that there was a loss involved. And, and it's my goal today to leave you encouraged with what God can do in your life, right? Anybody watch a little football this week? A little bit? I mean, like half the games were good? Maybe just the first half? I'm glad God doesn't quit at halftime, right? I'm just zing that right in there. I want to start by looking at Revelation 1, Revelation 21, excuse me, verse that right towards the end of Revelation, John's getting this, this view of heaven and how good heaven's going to be. Heaven's supposed to be like the Disney on steroids, like Disney World on Disney World. It's perfect. Everything's great there. But then there's this verse at the end where John sees that there are something not quite so great there. It's Revelation 21, 4. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. As good as heaven's gonna be, there's tears there. Why is that? We've actually heard Pastor Rick talk about this a couple of times. First off, there might be some tears of of joy. Somebody's just so glad to be there. Maybe they weren't really sure they were gonna make it and then they're just glad to be there, right? Tears of joy. And then maybe there's some tears of regret where, man, I wish I would have brought some more people with me. I wish I could have done more for the kingdom of God while I was on earth. And then the one that it mentions there, there'll be tears of sorrow of, of death. And I understand this time of year, Christmas, and, and everybody's focusing on family, and it's supposed to be this merry and bright season. And I understand that, that there are times people struggle because of loss. But I want to talk to you today about some hope through that. Before I even get started, though, I need to lay, I need to lay some ground rules, some foundation. You need to know that I'm the dad joke machine you've been worried about that you've been warned about. I'm that guy. My kids have this detent in the back of their head because their eyes roll back so much and just stay there. I brought a picture to kind of explain it a little bit. I don't understand how this happened. How did this get made? Who failed? <laughs> There's a little bit of third in there. There's a little bit of first. Um, you know, this is that participation trophy that nobody wants to get. But my humor looks at it and says, now I want a Sprite so that I can obey my thirst. That's terrible. Y'all should not be laughing at that. But that's me. I've been a nomad most of my life. I was born in Texas, lived in every Gulf Coast state, lived in Ohio for a while, actually lived in Korea for a while. I've I've been everywhere. I've got like 36, 37 addresses, something like that. But I landed in Cabot, and I never saw that coming. I've been here for 12 years now. It was not in my game plan coming out of college, I promise you that. But God brought me here, and I love this town. I, I love living here. I love having my kids involved in the school. I love that Pastor Rick and Michelle saw fit to come to Arkansas and plant NLC and then bring James and Cody to us. Y'all, these this folks are amazing. One of these days when I grow up, I want to be like James. But I love NLC. I love that we have a family home here. I love it here. Along the way, I, I married a, a girl that I graduated after I graduated uh, Bible college. Married a girl while I was in Ohio. She went with me to Texas and eventually wound up in Arkansas. Her name was Janice. And we had three kids. They're all sitting here on the front row. Well, Ryan's back there. But 
they're here with me today. So after Kaylin was born, the, the third child, she started developing some weird pains in her right breast. So we went to the doctor and had it checked out. He acted like it wasn't a big deal. But it never got any better. So eventually we go back to the doctor and um, eventually we wind up with a, a cancer diagnosis, stage four. And if you understand anything about that world, stage four means it's terminal within five years, barring a miracle. And, and even if it's not terminal in five years, you really are not going to make it more than about six or seven. So, man, that, that stung. That hit us pretty hard. So we go through chemotherapy and radiation and, and mastectomy and all these words that you never want to hear applied to your own life. And at the end of that year, because of the treatments, she's declared cancer-free. Hallelujah. God's doing some great things. Well, then she goes back for a checkup the next year, and this time it's on her liver. Back through chemo, back through some other treatments. Here we go again. And then declared cancer-free again, and then the next year it's back. If you've ever taken your kids to the beach, and I'm not talking about Pensacola Beach where you've got like microscopic waves. I'm talking about like the other side of Florida where you actually have real waves. Your kids go there and they want to get out in the water and play and, and they take off running and that first wave hits them and it flips them upside down. And all you can see is feet kicking up above the water. And you laugh because it's funny, right? It's hilarious. Well, then they finally stand up and catch their breath. They look around and find you and they find where they're supposed to be. And then the next wave comes. It flips them back upside down again, and we laugh again. We're terrible parents, y'all. <laughs> and after about the sixth or seventh or twentieth time, whichever, you go out and you, you help them. You, you pick them up and you help them through that and figure out how to get through it. Well, that's where we were. Just boom, 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 wave after wave after wave of bad news. And then we rolled into 2007, and it's the year that, that completely changed my life. Because of her initial treatments, they gave her medicine that, that, that removed estrogen from her body. Her cancer fed on estrogen, so they had to get that out of there. Well, that meant she went through menopause at 31. She's going through the midlife change. No longer able to get pregnant. Late 2006, she turns up pregnant. Well, in January of 2007, we get the worst diagnosis of all, that now cancer is everywhere in her body. And in order for the doctors to be able to work on her, they couldn't do that with Nathan in the womb. So what's their answer? We need to abort the baby. We need to get him out of there so we can work on you and try to save your life. So we're faced with a choice. Man, what, what do you do? Well, in, in my book, there's absolutely no choice. There's no discussion or argument you can bring to me that, that devalues life. So we decided to have Nathan. I brought a picture of him. He's about 10 years old in this, 10 minutes old in this picture. He's about to be 10 in a few weeks. But in this picture, he's 10 minutes old. <laughs> Completely healthy. But he was gonna live in NICU there for a little while. Janice's body is completely full of cancer and he's clinging to at best a 50% survival rate. And that's where I'm at, just struggling, trying to figure out how am I going to get through this? God, what are you doing? I'm facing loss maybe twice. No guarantee that either one of them are going to live. So I had, I had developed this career as a, a commercial and industrial electrician where I, I fixed things and I'd, I would arrange metal to make it actually do stuff, computer controlled, all this. 
and I'm up against something that I can't put my hands on and fix. So I went and did some research because I'm the kind of guy that I'll research six weeks to buy a TV. Ask my wife. But, but I went and researched and, and I, the percentage of people that die regardless of the cause, it, it's like really high. It's like one out of one. You're gonna die. And then I also found out that five out of four of us, so we're bad with fractions. So welcome to NLC, we love to encourage people, right? Y'all will catch that one later. So what do we do when we face loss? What do you do? What's human nature? What's our tendencies when we face this kind of situation where there seems to be no way out? Man, our first reaction, honestly, a lot of times is we like to, we want to cast blame away from us. We want to find somebody that's responsible. Your loss, your pain may be a little different than mine. And that's okay. It's just as real to you as mine was to me. But one of the things you cannot do is, is, is this idea of casting blame. It's like this. It's like you go buy a brand new truck, guys, and, and you get it home from the dealership and you want to go show it off. So you put your wife in the front seat and you go cruising town. And this idiot runs a red light and T-bones you right in the passenger side. She had, your wife has to go to the hospital in the ambulance. And this dude comes to check on you to make sure you're okay. You can't even think because you're worried about your truck. I mean your wife. Right? <laughs> That's terrible. I'm sorry. But check this out. The guy's coming to check on you. You can't talk to him because you're worried about your wife. The cop comes over to talk to you, and all you can say is it's his fault. If he hadn't done this, I wouldn't be in this predicament. He's going to have to pay. Well, the guy's going to turn to his insurance company and say, look, I give you money every month just for this kind of situation. Y'all going to have to pay. And what are they going to do? They're going to go call the phone company, make sure you weren't texting or calling. They're going to try to pin the blame on you and make you have to pay. And it's this vicious circle over and over and over again. Now, eventually, you're going to get a new truck. Your wife's going to get to come home after a couple of much-needed weeks of rest in the hospital. And life's going to get back to normal. But guess what? Every time you come up to an intersection, you're going to flinch. Why is that? Casting blame, trying to make somebody else responsible, it never deals with the root issue of what's going on inside you. It never does. There's a story in John where, where Jesus is walking with his disciples. You got to understand that life sometimes is going to throw you a curveball, but you need to know that God can use anything for his glory. Watch this story in John 9. Jesus is walking along. He sees a man who's been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? Jesus always had the perfect answer in every question, every situation. He says, it's not because of his sin or his parents' sins, but this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Hmm. Y'all ever heard that southern phrase, well, bless your heart? Some of you have. Maybe some of you are not old enough to have understood what that meant. It's this magic phrase that means you can cut somebody to the bone and everything's all right, right? For the younger crowd, this is when you text somebody and you know this might make them mad, so I need to put a smiley face at the end of this so they understand that I'm just joking. Or if I'm really pushing the line, then I'll put an LOL out there. And when I know I've messed up, you get both of them. This is what bless your heart means, right? I can hear this in the disciples' voice. I can hear them saying, well, you know what? If their parents, if, his, if this guy's parents hadn't messed up, then he wouldn't have been born blind. He wouldn't be in this situation. Bless his heart. 
It's not his fault. Or bless his heart, if he hadn't, if he hadn't done that thing, then he wouldn't be blind. Bless his heart. Man, I had a couple of people come around me like that. Well, bless your heart. If you just had enough faith, God could deliver you out of this. If you just had enough faith, you wouldn't be in this mess. Bless your heart. I had one woman come to me and say, well, I got enough faith to get her healed whether you do or not. And she was from up north. She didn't know the bless your heart trick. <laughs> Religious people can be so mean sometimes. I'm telling you. But casting blame, trying to find somebody that's at fault for what you're going through, it never, ever, ever works out for good. Another thing we like to do, we compare our situation to others around us. We look at what we're going through and we compare it with what we see on Facebook or what we see on Instagram or what we see on Twitter. Y'all, that's a lie. I'm telling you. Here's the truth. You're not going to put on Facebook that your marriage is struggling. You're not going to put on Facebook that your family is falling apart. That your job is driving you nuts and you feel like you're in prison. That you've got a kid that might be headed to prison. You're not going to put that on Facebook. <laughs> you've seen the movie. You've seen where Jack Nicholson steps up to the, to the testimony booth and yells, you can't handle the truth. And we replay that scene over and over in our mind. And we convince ourselves that nobody out there can handle the truth of my life. And that leads to isolation. And when you're alone, you're out of the will of God. When God made heaven and earth, everything he said was good, except for one thing, and that was for man to be alone. This is where you've got to have the relationships around you, the friendships around you that will call you at two o'clock in the morning because they know you're struggling. And they're gonna give you a word of encouragement. They're gonna pray with you. They're gonna come hang out with you. And it's not gonna have a bless your heart on the end of it. You gotta have that. I had a couple of guys that I could call when I needed to, but I didn't have the relationships where they would call me. I want you to look around at the people in this room that want to be that for you. Sometimes, when, when it goes on long enough, we start to lose hope. What's well, easy to get there? But I want to remind you, the Bible's full of hope. Absolutely full, and sometimes in some weird places. You're familiar with Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Look at this translation of Psalms 23, 4. It's a different wording. Even when the way goes through death valley, I'm not afraid when you walk by my side. Somebody please explain to me how you can be an LSU fan reading that. Because I don't get it. <laughs> but there's a key word there. Though I walk through, y'all, the valley is never, ever meant to be a stopping point. The valley can never be a destination. But what's the secret to it? How do you walk through? You keep this guy by your side. This is not just a stage decoration. You walk with Jesus, you keep your eyes on him, and he'll lead you through whatever valley you're going through. You lose hope when you get stuck. So 
Jesus is hanging out in the temple one day. He's got his disciples with him and some Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the day. They loved to control things. They, they wanted to be the ones to define what Scripture meant and how you were supposed to act in reaction to what the Scripture says. They wanted to control everything and everyone around them. And y'all, Jesus loved to mess with, with the Pharisees. He really did. He had like this smarlilic twist about him. You just have to understand. He, he, he gets to the temple one day and he pulls out the scroll of Isaiah where Isaiah has written prophecies about what Jesus would be. It's a lot like Babe Ruth in the 1932 World Series. Cubs fans hate this story, but it's funny. So Babe Ruth steps up to the bat in the fifth inning, and before the pitcher can pitch, he points his bat towards center field. And everybody in the, in the stands goes, what's he doing? And wouldn't you know it, the very next pitch, right out in center field it goes. He called his shot. Smart aleck. But it's not if you follow up with it, right? So Jesus steps up to the, in the temple and, and reads from Isaiah, and he's calling his shot. He's reading what he's going to do while he's on earth. He reads it like this in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he stops, he rolls the scroll over, puts it up, and turns around because everybody's looking at him now and says, today, this scripture's fulfilled. Drops the mic and walks off. Smart aleck. But here's the thing. The Pharisees had to have hated this. Because they knew. They had read Isaiah enough to know there's more to it. Isaiah penned some more phrases and where there's a comma in the original, Jesus had put a period. And sometimes God allows that to happen in our lives. Where that thing that we want to continue, God allows it to stop. We didn't want Janice to die. We didn't want it to turn out like that. God allowed a period. I want to show you something from a little bit different translation of this same verse. Jesus says one of the things that he came to do was to give liberty to them that are bruised. And those two never made sense to me. Till one day I'm playing in a church softball league. It's kind of like regular softball, but with like 20% less cussing. So I'm playing second base. And this guy, this guy hits a ground ball and it bounces right as I'm ready to catch it. It hits a rock and bounces off my left shin. Now, I barely, barely felt it. It was like the, the wing of a fly had brushed me just a little. Because I'm mad, right? Ooh! Adrenaline hit, and I threw the guy out. But I'm going to tell you what, softball, <laughs> that's one of the worst named sports in the world. Because there ain't nothing soft about it. And the next day, man, that thing hurt. I had a Goose egg, about that big around. Every time I tell a story, the goose egg gets a little bigger, like, like when you're fishing. You know? And every color you can think of, colors you never want to see on your body, like fluorescent green and purple. You never want to see those on your body. I had them from my knee to my ankle. That thing hurt. And I got to the point where I couldn't even get dressed. It like totally, it, it took every part of my life 
and changed it. I couldn't pull a sock over it. I sure enough didn't want to walk close to anybody or anything on the off chance that something's going to bump it. How often do we do that with our internal bruises? How often do we do that with the bruise that comes from being hurt at church or being hurt by family? You know, a stranger can cuss you and it's okay. But family looks at you wrong and it hurts. How often do we do that? We, we withdraw, we isolate ourselves. Don't touch me there, that hurts. Don't remind me of that, it hurts. And eventually you get to the point where I just want this thing to go away. I want to be done with this. And that's when you understand liberty for bruise. Because a bruise will trap you. Man, it'll snare you and won't let you go. And one of the things that Jesus declared that he was going to do, in addition to all the healings and everything else he did, he called the shot, I'm going to bring liberty for people that are bruised. I'm so glad he does that. You might think that the bruise only affects you. You might think it only affects that one particular part of your body. If you've ever stubbed your toe on the furniture at night or stepped on a Lego in your kid's bedroom, you understand that that point of impact, yeah, it hurts, but it affects your entire body, even your mouth. And y'all let stuff out of your mouth in that moment that don't, nobody need to hear. And the whole family knows what you're going through. Watch this. The bruise affects everybody around you. What, what you allow to trap you affects the entire body. We hurt when you hurt. And your, your ability to fulfill the call of God in your life and to be that member of God's body is affected in a negative way when you let that bruise trap you. But Jesus came to bring liberty. Amen? The Bible says this in Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes everything. I want you to underline or highlight this word, everything. Some things are not good. Some things are tragic. But God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I also want you to notice that there's no phrase in here about those that do everything right. Man, that's some hope for somebody. Don't struggle with the thought of, I've got to do everything perfectly. I've got to do A, B, C, D, E, F, Z before God's going to help me. No, no, no. You love God. You acknowledge the call that he's placed on your life because everybody has something to do for the kingdom of God. And he'll cause everything. That's a promise. He'll cause everything to work together for good. Janice died in the late summer of 2007. That's not a good thing. That's a tragic thing. I'm 35 years old at that point. Four kids. The infant's still wearing a heart monitor. But I found hope in that verse. My story doesn't end there. I've got another picture I want to show you. I'm a multimedia kind of guy. That's me up in the top left. I, I will openly acknowledge and admit that I have resting ticked off face. 
there's not much I can do about it. And there's my wife, Renee. When God puts stuff together, boy, it'll blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. Renee has been quite literally a godsend. She has helped so many ways. I don't have time. I'm in between you and lunch. I don't have time to tell everything that she's done. And there's our daughter, Tori, and her husband, Daniel. They pastor our 412 students. And y'all 412 middle school students, they're weird. So these guys need your prayer. For real. My oldest son, Ryan. Middle son, Dylan. Both heavily involved here. I love it. And then every family needs somebody that can man the selfie camera. So we have a teenage daughter. Her name's Kaylin. And then there's Nathan. He'll be 10 in a few weeks. Boy, I'm telling you, I, I, I have never seen anybody get as much out of life as Nathan does. When he hits the bed at night, he passes out because he's done spent all the energy he's got that day. Absolutely no health issues. None. Hey, when God's got a plan, nothing's going to stop it. Right? Nothing. I want to leave you with, with three things today. Things that you can do when you face loss. When you face that moment where you don't know how to even take the next step, much less plan five years from now. First thing you got to do is you got to admit weakness. You got to admit that I can't do this on my own and I need help. We're back to the picture of the kid flipped upside down in, in the ocean. At some point, they holler for help. And we as parents come running. How much more does our Heavenly Father care for us? You got to admit, you can't do this on your own. The Bible says it uses a, a fancy word to describe God's power, and it's the word omnipotent. And all that means is He has all power in all the universe. And yet, there's another phrase, there's another verse that puts a, a a clause on his strength. His strength is only made perfect in our weakness. Got to admit, I can't do this and I need help. Second thing you got to do is you got to lean on the body of Christ. You got to plug in to a life group, a serve group, a friends group. You got to plug in and get these relationships around you where people know you, where they know your hurts and your hangups. They know that secret addiction that you're hiding from everybody else. They know that they can call you at two o'clock in the morning because they know you're gonna be awake and you're struggling and you need help. They know when you're hungry, they can bring you food. They know to be the hands and feet of Jesus to you. It's what the disciples modeled for us in the early church. This idea of living life in such a way that we can help without any strings attached. You'll never hear a bless your heart. You've got to have that. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says one can be overcome. Two can withstand and a cord of three is not easily broken. 
safety in numbers. You've got to have these kind of relationships. I've seen people in the last year and a half go through situations similar to this. Loss of a loved one, loss of a house in a fire, lose everything you own, loss of a job, the revealing of of addictions and problems where everybody turns their back except for their life groups. And I've watched their life groups kick into action. And I've seen people be the hands and feet of Jesus to hurting people. And it's amazing what God can do through his body. Number three, you gotta declare trust in God. There was a particular day that I will never forget where this became real to me. Not long after Nathan was born, Janice is in the 10th floor cancer ward at Big Baptist in West Little Rock. Nathan's in the NICU on the second floor. And I had to go there every day. Didn't have any assurance that either one of them was gonna leave, leave there alive. But I got three kids here in Cabot. I got a job. So my mom had to come live with us for a while and do laundry, clean dishes, wake kids up for school so that I can go to West Little Rock and go see a heart monitor and go hear the sounds, smell the smells, see the look of death. Man, it's a tough drive. And I'm on the road one day and I was on the phone with my dad. And this was a rough day. Just the, the, the immenseness of it all, the enormity of it all. And I remember telling dad, I don't know what to do. No hope. And then all of a sudden, I get stuck in, truck, in traffic in Jacksonville. <laughs> Those of you that work in Little Rock, you understand your blood pressure just shot up for me saying that, much less going and doing it. <laughs> and to top that off, there's this car that's slow and I'm stuck behind them while everybody else is going around. And then, God let me know he put that car in my way on purpose. And I followed that car all the way to downtown Little Rock. I promised I'm not the stalker that that makes me sound to be. But God was working in me. And as, as the lady gets ready to get off of 630, she turns and looks at me and I pulled up beside her. We're doing freeway speeds, right? Pulled up beside her and I just mouthed the words, thank you. And I'm telling you, when she turned and looked at me, thankfully she wasn't on the phone with 911 to report me. <laughs> she looked at me with a smile, the most angelic smile I've ever seen. Peace filled my heart and filled my car. And if I've ever heard the voice of God, I heard it right then to say, it's okay, I got you. Just like we would tell our kids in the ocean, I got you. Waves are still coming. Nothing about my situation changed. I never got assurance that Janice was gonna survive. But I knew, I knew, that I knew that I knew that God's got me. What was it about the car that stood out? It wasn't the paint job. It wasn't all the stuffed animals. It wasn't the crystal cross hanging in the rear view mirror. It was a picture that I, I, I took a picture of it because I wanted to be able to tell others about it. It was the license plate. 
and it's become my declaration. When I'm up against something that's tough, when I'm in a situation where I don't know what the next step is, that statement right there, okay, Lord, I give up control of where I'm at. I'm not gonna try to define what the next step needs to be. I admit that I don't have the answers. You can't trust when you have answers. That's just obedience. I trust you, God. Okay, lead me and I'll follow. I'll walk with you every step through the valley. And today, whatever situation you're facing, whatever moment you're in, where you don't know what that next step is, you gotta find a place where you can declare trust in God and know without a shadow of a doubt that he's got you and that he's gonna lead you through the valley. The valley will not be a stopping point for you when you keep your eyes on Jesus and walk with him. I challenge you this morning with all the New Year's resolutions that we're making, with all the things you wanna do better in your life this year, I challenge you, find your okay, Lord. I saw it that day and it wrecked my world. And over the next few weeks, I got to tell the story. I got to speak it over and over and over again. And then eventually it became a way of life. Some of y'all need to do that. You need to look at your situation and say, okay, Lord, and say it enough that it becomes a way of life. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you don't know God, you've never declared your trust in Him the first time, man, what an opportunity. What a time to be able to declare trust in God over your life. If you've not done that, if you've not taken that step, man, I want to pray with you. It's as simple as raising your hand and saying, okay, Lord, I trust you. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Lead me and I'll follow you. If that's you, raise your hand right now. I want to pray with you real quick all across the room. Yep, I got you. Yeah, man, what a time. There's no better way to start 2017 than with God. Maybe you're here today and you're still fighting the pain of 2016 or you're still fighting the pain of 2015 or you're still fighting the pain of 2010 and you've been trapped. You didn't even know it. God wants to bring freedom for your situation. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray with you too. All across the room. God wants to bring liberty and freedom from your hurts and your pains. He wants you to be able to walk in confidence 
and know that he's got your back no matter where you go. Come on, somebody else. I got you. Yep. Oh, I'm telling you. 2017 is going to be a different year. You're going to be a different you because of this. You're going to be able to step in to what God wants you to do this year. Let me pray real quick. God, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for the valley. I want to thank you for the promise that we can get through the valley by following you. And God, for those in this room that are declaring their trust in you for the first time, give them strength. Show off in their life, God. Prove to them that this is the best way. And God, for those of us that are hurting and struggling, trying to get through something that happened in the past, you came to declare liberty for us. So I'm asking you to do that today. Be that for us, God. And in those moments when it gets rough, Help us to remember to say, okay, Lord, I trust you. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I need you. Help us to find some people that'll walk with us. That'll be there when we need it. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a hand.